Welcome back to another episode of Healthy Conversations with Omi Naidu, the show where we connect the experts directly to you. In this episode, I chat to Gabrielle Maston, who is an accredited practicing dietitian, exercise physiologist, as well as author. We discuss very low energy diets, or VLED, and their roles in obesity and diabetes management. Gabrielle has more than 15 years of clinical experience and is currently undertaking her PhD via the University of Sydney, with the topic being focused on very low energy diets and their role in obesity. Gabrielle has appeared on multiple TV and radio stations throughout Australia and has published several papers regarding VLEDs. A special thanks to Nestle Health Sciences for supporting this episode, and I hope you enjoy it. It's a warm welcome to Gabrielle, and thanks for being on the show. Thanks for inviting me to be here. So, Gabrielle, uh, a lot had come up in terms of VLED, and when doing my research, your name seems to pop up quite prominently. Could you maybe comment on what brought you to this point of doing a PhD in the topic? Well, I currently work at a, a big hospital in Sydney, Australia, and we run a specific VLED program for patients with severe obesity. So it's a combination of doing the VLEDs to work people up for bariatric surgery, which we offer publicly funded surgery, but then also you know, people with severe obesity have quite complex medical conditions which don't necessarily allow them to have surgery. So that's how that sort of clinic came about. And there was a lot of unanswered questions about VLEDs. Um, so, you know, there was plenty of research to do in there. And I figured, well, I'm working there. Why not use the opportunity to get a PhD out of it? which of course everyone was happy about. So that's that's good because it works in both ways. It's great for me, but then also great for the service to improve um, the, the treatments that we provide for people. Okay, so for our listeners that are not familiar with VLEDs, what are they exactly? Yeah, so VLED is, just stands for a very low energy diet. So it's a diet based on using meal replacement products which creates a severe energy restriction. So for a person with a BMI, like class two or three obesity, so you're talking about a BMI of 35 or greater, um, with a a meal replacement program, you're looking at about a 65% energy restriction. Um, And what the literature out there shows is that when people lose weight rapidly, they're more likely to keep it off long-term and do much better with adherence than people that lose weight slowly. So it's quite a promising diet and um, very easy to follow and has been implemented in people from the lower socioeconomic status um, and all ethnic cultures as well. um, And it still performs better than food-based diets. Okay. And is there a specific approach? Because uh, upon doing my research, I see that there's different phases and it's not just where the patient goes on to very low calories for 52 weeks. Yeah, 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 exactly. (laughs) So it's very staged. Um, So typically uh, we prescribe three meal replacements per day, which is your breakfast, lunch and dinner 
style of eating, which is a Western style of eating, I would admit. Um, and people do that for 12 months. No, sorry, 12 months, 12 weeks, <laughs> 12 weeks. And then after 12 weeks, they go into the next phase, which is the gradual introduction of food again. So you drop a meal replacement and replace it with healthy portion controlled eating. So typically lower carb than what normally would people have. So for example, it might be um, taking away the meal replacement at night and making it a dinner of chicken salad and maybe half a cup of rice, you know, just as an example. Um, and then after, you know, you can do that, that second phase for about a month or longer. Sometimes people like to stay on it for longer, but I usually just do a month. Then after that, you go into the third phase, which is dropping another meal replacement, adding in a meal until eventually you're back to healthy eating, but portion controlled. Okay. And one of the, the sort of landmark trials in this research area is the direct trial. Could you yeah. maybe explain to us what was the direct trial and what were the main findings that kind of ignited this, this exciting area of, of treatment for obesity and diabetes? Yeah, so the direct trial came about um, following other trials that were out there. So the counterbalance study, if you're if people are familiar with that, used VLEDs and then found that, um, hey, presto, people were going into diabetes remission after a certain amount of weight. So that's where the researchers led to doing the direct trial, which started off in the UK. Um, and so in that trial, the intervention was um, a VLED with three meal replacements and also vegetables. Um, it, and the control group was just standard, you know, healthy eating advice and exercise and blood glucose monitoring. But what they found was that regardless of the intervention, people that lost 15 kilograms worth of weight were able to go into diabetes remission and cease use of all diabetic medication, okay? Um, but what they found that more people in the VLED group actually were able to achieve that 15 kilos compared, 15 kilogram weight loss compared to the control. So it is the weight loss that causes diabetes remission, but you're more likely to lose a significant amount of weight that's clinically significant um, doing a VLED than you are with just healthy eating. So, you know, it's a landmark study because, you know, normally people think when you're diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, it's a death sentence. You know, we think about people losing their limbs and, you know, basically being on death's door and patients think that way as well, you know. But now we actually have an intervention. If people lose weight, then they, you know, technically won't show up as diabetic anymore on their blood sugar results, you know. So that is very, very motivating for people. So when they've done feedback studies to find out what people think about it, well, people actually really like doing the VLED interventions because of that reason. They get a significant improvement in health and, you know, and well-being. And if you if you think about it, if you've been, if you've had type 2 diabetes for a while, uh, you'd be taking medication every day, or you'd be injecting yourself with insulin every day, and that takes a lot out of someone's life. You know, it impacts your quality of life. So if you can do a simple intervention and lose weight and then you don't have to take the medications, you save money and you feel better. So how did the trials define diabetes remission? 
because that that is that in itself is almost a new term you know it, it's not a cure but it's something to put it into a remission state that's right so in this study they defined remission as achieving a hba1c of 6.8 percent um so you know that's to and ceasing all medications so oral even oral diabetic medications so you know it, it's not perfect blood sugars but it's definitely better than what we normally see <laughs> yeah. i think the, the key part there is without medication having that hba1c i know uh, majority of the diabetics i come across uh, not many even get to the 6.8 with medication even as it's intensive as insulin exactly okay. yes you usually see much higher or big fluctuations from hypos to hypers and all that type of stuff is there a an ideal patient that a dietitian should say definitely a good candidate for vled and is there a type of patient we should be saying hmm maybe it's a bit wary reconsider this as another option if the traditional approach doesn't work yeah, look, I mean, ideal people that are here. <laughs> That's a hard one to answer. So look, in one of my research papers where I interviewed people that attended the clinic that I work at and asked them, you know, what, what facilitated their adherence? And then I broke up people into successful weight losers and non-successful weight losers. So people that achieved clinically significant weight loss of 10% or greater, you know, at the time of interview. And I think the, the defining factor is that if people come from a lower socioeconomic background, it is much harder to adhere to a diet and achieve that amount of weight loss. And that's purely because they have more things in life that tend to go wrong, right? So for example, I had patients that had become homeless because of some sort of rental problem and they had to move out and they didn't have a kitchen and they couldn't follow the diet um, or, you know, they um, run out of um, money because they were on government pension. And so then they couldn't purchase the meal replacement products, um, you know, or they had large, large families come and visit, you know, extended families to come visit because they, you know, living's arrangements changed and then it threw everything into the mix. So what I found it was really things that were out of people's control by and large that derailed people from actually sticking to the diet. Um, and, and the more the people that tended to achieve better weight loss, um, so that clinically significant weight loss, just seemed to have like more emotionally grounded goals. So things that they really focused on when life went bad, you know, because it's, it's like everyone, right? Life's a roller coaster. Sometimes you're having a good time. Sometimes it's not so good. And so it, really depends on your focus on what you're trying to achieve that and also your resilience your personality right that resilience that grit that you have that helps you be able to stick to something so those people that had more sort of resilience grit and emotionally grounded goals tended to stick to it for longer and therefore reach that clinically significant weight loss so how do you measure grit and, um, and resilience. I mean, it's really hard to tell. There's no surveys that actually do that. Um, so I would say like, if you're weighing up, well, is this person suitable to do this? I would just ask the person what they think. What do they think about the diet? 
do they think that this is the correct period in their life to be able to do it? And sometimes, you know, I say to patients, well, you know, they'll tell me their life story. Of course, they always do. You know, they're going through divorce or they've, you know, recently had a baby or yada, yada. And then you're like, well, it doesn't actually sound like you have time to really focus on this. So maybe let's just wait a couple of months until these things resolve and that you've got time to focus, you know. So really thinking about the timing in someone's life to be able to do this. Because I find, just for anecdotally, that people do better the first time they do the VLED diet. If you have people that are yo-yoing up and down and go on the diet, then off the diet, on the diet, then off the diet, through the course of time, the more times they try to do the VLED, the less successful it is because people get burnt out from it. So you really want the first time they do it to be the most successful time and, you know, making sure that they can actually commit to doing this diet for three months. So, you know, implementing it just before Christmas or Easter <laughs> is probably not a good idea because, you know, everyone eats different foods over that time. So I could ask you, uh, what would be the reason for better weight loss in the VLED when compared to our traditional dietary approach? Yeah, so, yeah, I don't think they actually quite, well, no, it, it's it hypothesized, obviously, it has been really been proven, but I mean, it's all logical, right? So, you know, when you're doing a VLED, you're going into a state of ketosis, which is when your body stops burning carbohydrates, as, well, not completely stops, but the majority starts burning fat as fuel and producing ketones. And that, um, you know, decreases your appetite or hunger. So you're, it's easier to stick to an energy restriction when you're not feeling hungry. So you're less likely to overeat the prescribed amount. Whereas with food-based diets, you're still eating carbohydrates. You still have that hunger and that tends to derail people. You know, it's very hard to do a severe energy restriction with food if you're hungry all the time. So I think that's what makes it more successful. And of course, success breeds success. So once you're not feeling hungry and you're doing this severe energy restriction and losing a ton of weight, like, you, you know, you're talking about a kilo per week, people get really motivated about that. When they see results, they want to try harder. And then they stick to it for longer because they go, look, this is working for me. And, you know, I can prove this in, in my latest um, paper that's going to be published in a few more weeks is that when I interviewed people um, uh, when they were on the diet, they said, you know, I've tried food-based diets in the past and I struggled so much, you know, I was cooking all my food and then I'd jump on the scale and I'd only lost a hundred grams or my weight didn't change. And I thought, well, what's the point of even trying anymore? And then they give up. Whereas when they did the VLED, they saw the weight change and they're like, hey, this is working. This is the only thing that's ever worked for me. I'm going to keep going. So it's interesting. Very interesting indeed. So when you have a patient that, that comes to your clinic and you want to start this type of, of diet with them, is there firstly any baseline bloods that you do? And secondly, is there any specific multivitamins or fiber supplements or anything additional that you may prescribe with the diet? 
Yeah, so when they come to the clinic at the hospital, everyone comes with the full blood work done. So we check for um, deranged liver function to pick up fatty liver, um, their blood sugar levels, HbA1c, cholesterol, all of that, because they do get reviewed by an endocrinologist before they start the VLED, just because of the caliber of people that we see are quite ill, okay? Um, whereas in a private practice, you know, you, you wouldn't get to see, they wouldn't get to see an endocrinologist, but I would advise that they get bloods done, you know, at least cholesterol and blood sugars and that type of thing from their GP and get the GP to check over to see if they're all okay to start, okay? Um, so yeah, so that's in regards to bloods. Um, and on that too, just reviewing people's medication lists, because if they're on antihypertensives, then that will have to be decreased because it's a VLED is a, a lower salt diet. And with weight loss, your blood, blood pressure also decreases. So what you tend to find after a few weeks, people start becoming dizzy on the VLED and taking the antihypertensive. So it may be that after, you know, five, four or five kilograms of weight loss, their medications will have to be decreased. Yeah. And the same goes with their um, uh, medications related to diabetes. So if they're on insulin, for example, there has to be almost an immediate 50% reduction in insulin that they take. Otherwise they'll end up going into hypos. So I would really consider all of that. You, you do have to work a bit closer with the GP when you're implementing this, especially in people that are more, have more complicated chronic diseases attached um, to the obesity. Um, and then your second question, the second part of the question was about multivitamins. Well, on a standard VLED plan, no, we don't ask people to take a multivitamin. Um, and the simple reason is, is because we also prescribe vegetables with it, which I know the prescription of vegetables with a VLED is contentious. Not everybody does it, but we do it <laughs> at our clinic. And at our clinic, we also prescribe um, the VLED with additional supplemental protein. So we prescribe one gram of protein per kilogram of adjusted ideal body weight of a BMI of 25. So it is more nutritionally sound. And so therefore someone wouldn't need to take a multivitamin. But in saying that, <laughs> in different contexts, if someone's doing the VLED leading up to bariatric surgery, then yes, we would get people to start a multivitamin only because when they're doing the VLED after the surgery, that um, they aren't taking in solid food and the, the severe energy, you know, they, they're not getting through three meal replacements per day. They just can't even stomach that. So that's when we would do a multivitamin with it. Okay, so for, for your patients then, if I understand you correctly, they wouldn't necessarily be a, a role for fiber supplement because I see some of the study protocols include a fiber supplement. Would yours be omitted because of the addition of the vegetables? Yeah, um, I've seen, yeah, seen the studies on the fiber supplement. I mean, it doesn't hurt. And we do recommend that if people get um, constipated that to start taking fiber like uh, psyllium husk or something like that. So you certainly can, it won't harm it. It's not something standard that I'd prescribe straight away though. Yeah, and, and there's, you know, they're having vegetables. Some of the products also have fiber in it already. So I guess it just depends what brand you're using and if you wanna use vegetables or not. 
So you mentioned uh, bariatric surgery and the period leading into it. Could you just explain to us where the VLEDs come in, uh, obviously pre and post, and you know how does the two sort of intertwine? Yeah, so look, when you're doing a VLED, it actually shrinks the fat around the liver. So <laughs> if you think about the benefits of that, when someone is having surgery, the aim of doing the VLED is to shrink the fat around the liver to make the surgery more, well, less risky. Because typically if someone has extreme weight, their liver is inflamed with fat and then it makes the surgery quite complicated because they actually have to move part of the liver out of the way to get to the stomach. So after doing a VLED for two weeks, what the literature has shown is that you get an 80% reduction in the fat in the liver, which is huge. Wow, that's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why, I mean, and that's another technique I use as well. If you have a patient that doesn't have diabetes, but they've got a fatty liver, which is common, you know, people can be a normal BMI, um, you know, but still have that sort of like uh, a larger waist circumference or so that pot belly look with a fatty liver, you can do a VLED for two weeks and get rid of their fatty liver. Wow, that's very interesting. And, and I think uh, a lot of dietitians listening to this are already thinking of patients that they would probably implement the VLED with. If we were to, to look at it now, you know, what is, if, if you've got a doctor, you know, you spoke about having the, the general practitioner on board, especially in a private setting or even in an academic setting, having the doctor on board. If you were chatting to a doctor within a 30 second uh, sort of round, explain to them what is OptiFast and why the patient should be on it. How would you convey that message? Because I just think about it now. I, I read the research and there's so much I want to say, but how do I get their buy-in? Because if I understand it correctly, you've got to get the doctor's buy-in as well. Yeah, that's a hard one because I've never had to get their buy-in because they were already bought in. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I guess I would approach it just saying, look, this there's a dietary intervention that's very successful. Um, can we give it a try? It's, you know, the formulated meal replacement. It shows, you know, 10% weight loss can be achieved in six weeks. That's what the, you know, one of my meta-analysis has showed. Um, you know, it's worth, it's worth giving it a go. <laughs> That's how I would do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but of course, I guess it depends on the consultant you're dealing with. You might have to produce some literature for them <laughs> as well. So uh, if you could now talk a bit about the, the, new, uh, the Nestle's uh, OptiFast products, what exactly mm -hmm. are they? Is it complete nutrition in there? And you know what sort of products are there? If you could maybe just elaborate for our listeners. Yeah, yeah. So Nestle uh, makes a range of products. Um, so bars, shakes, soups, and desserts, which are like mousse-based desserts. They come in a range of flavors from vanilla to strawberry, uh, you know, salted caramel, all that type of stuff. Um, and they're specifically formulated to be nutritionally sound. So it's got roughly about 20 grams of protein in there and 17 grams of carbs. Um, and there's a little bit of fat content in there, but we still recommend the prescription of um, a teaspoon of fat per day with the three meal replacements just to help with the gallbladder, okay? Um, 
yeah, so, uh, I mean, it's, it's basically really, really simple, <laughs> I think, the formulation. Um, of course, ne Nestle has now brought out um, higher protein versions of the formulations as well. Um, so that's available. And I think that's come about because at Sydney Uni, which is attached to the hospital that I work at, and within our department, uh, remember I said that we use that higher protein prescription and there was a big um, large scale study that came out of the uni called the Tempo trial, Tempo diet trial that showed uh, that, that used that protocol of one gram per kilogram of um, ideal body weight of protein with the VLED and the weight loss outcomes were much better. Because I mean, all the dietitians out there, you're probably familiar that, you know, protein improves satiety after meals um, and is shown to assist with weight loss and then also maintenance of fat-free mass. So that, I, I believe, you know, because after that study came out, then Nestle created that higher protein formulation that people can use. Um, in terms of texture though, I prefer the original <laughs> because the higher protein version is quite thick, um, like almost like a syrupy sort of chalky consistency, which I don't, I don't like, but then, you know, I've had patients that like it as well. So it's really up to how you want to prescribe and what products, you know, flavor and taste and all that. that. Um, you have to get buy-in from the person that's going to use it. You know, and there's not just Nestle out there, there's different brands and they all have different textures and flavors. So if that's something that a patient is stuck on, I highly recommend you um, encourage them to try different brands of products because, you know, sometimes people like the meal, uh, the shakes in one brand and the bars in a different brand and it, they are all interchangeable. They're roughly all the same anyway. Okay, I can remember a few years back when uh, I had a consultant ask me to prescribe or formulate an 800 kilocal diet for a patient. And I think back then we, us in South Africa didn't necessarily have a, a specific product that could meet those requirements. And mm -hmm. after planning the meal plan, I looked at it and thought to myself, this is very restrictive. And the first thing that, that got back to me within a few days of the patient following it was there may be a compliance issue from the patient. With this kind of diets, is there is there this compliance thing that you see as well? And is there any tips or advice that you would normally tell your patient or that dietitians listening could tell their patient to try and improve the compliance? Yeah, so, you know, that's always one, you know, non-adherence or non-compliance with any type of diet, yeah, or weight loss intervention, really, I would say, <laughs> or medical intervention. Um, you know, because things get in the way of being able to stick to it. So, you know, in the in latest paper that I'm writing, I look exact, I look deeply into this. And we actually found that, yeah, when you prescribe a VLED, people are generally non-compliant. However, because the, the diet is significantly different to what they used to eat, even partial compliance still shows a degree of, still achieves the clinically significant weight loss that you're after. So I would say that even if you think people aren't going to be fully compliant, it's worth giving it a try because they might be compliant enough <laughs> to get the results that you want. Yeah. And how do you improve compliance? So to improve compliance, the first thing that I would do is educate them about the process of ketosis. So I am very upfront with people. And I say to them, 
look, when you first start this diet, for the first three to seven days, depending on how much physical activity you do, you are going to be very, very hungry. And what you can do when you're hungry is you can go for high protein foods. So then I give them a list. You can have chicken, meat, eggs, okay? But only stick to these and you can have your allowed list of vegetables. Because if you put in any more carbohydrates into your diet, you are going to make hunger come back. So you won't go into ketosis and you'll just constantly feel hungry. And then I say, look, so after the three to seven days, you'll be in ketosis. The hunger will just magically disappear and you'll feel like you'll feel like you're, you know, on cloud nine. So I think just knowing that allows people to hold on for a little bit longer. Okay. Um, and what else can you do? You can give them strategies on how to, uh, you know, cook tasty vegetables and stuff. So, you know, using stir fries or, um, dry frying vegetable, you know, in an air fryer um, and, and increasing like the colors and the flavors using different sources. Again, it just adds variety and interest to what they're doing. And the vegetables help bulk up the meal. So they're not just having the shake, they actually feel like they're having some sort of meal. And I find that that does help. And in the latest paper that I'm writing, because um, I've we've measured adherence to different elements of the diet, so when people adhere to the vegetable, um, uh, what you call it, prescription, they're more likely to achieve weight loss. So we believe it's because the vegetables actually gives that sense that you are eating a meal. Um, and then also that sense of fullness too, because there's actually something going into the stomach and stretching it a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And so look, issues, issues that other issues that people have during a VLED um, sometimes people find it socially isolating because you you know you might be going to a party and there's a barbecue happening and you can't have that you've got to drink your shake or your bar um, you know sometimes that bothers people other times it doesn't it really depends on the person's personality but in those instances um, I tell people well look you can still stay in ketosis if you choose the correct foods you know or lower low carb foods um, rather than having the shake at that meal only. So if it's a barbecue, for example, have a piece of steak. Yes, it might, you know, it might be a bigger portion than what we would typically recommend, but you know, you're not going to go out of ketosis and bring back that hunger again. So, you know, you, you can give those recommendations or to sit away from the, the food tray <laughs> on the opposite <laughs> side of the room, um, that type of thing. Yeah. So my next question would be. Is this an all or nothing approach? So very often I have patients who, uh, inverted commas, fall off the wagon and get back on. With this type of diet approach, can we, we obviously know we don't want them to get out of the ketosis, but is it something that they've got to comply with 100% or is it we aim for 800 and if we get to 1,000 or 1,100, we can still get to the desirable outcomes? Yeah, well, my study showed that, right? So even if they're not fully compliant, they still get the results that you want, so it's worth trying, yeah? So I know what you mean with the all or nothing thinking, um, you know, because that's one of the biggest criticisms that I hear from health professionals is that, you know, this diet is just restrictive and it's just teaching people to yo-yo diet. Um, but it's not the case. Uh, what I find with the patients that we see is that the diet actually just teaches them how to eat better. 
So it teaches them that they can feel full with smaller portions of food. And also it, it encourages them to develop a habitual vegetable eating pattern. So eating vegetables at every single meal. So um, whilst it seems like, yeah, highly restricting an all or nothing dieting, I think because you go through the phases of reintroducing food and, you know, you have vegetables attached to the prescription, it's actually a, a teaching mechanism too. Because look, a lot of people that I find with severe obesity at least is that they don't realise how full and how sick they feel every time that they eat. And that's because they eat way too much in one go. All of a sudden you give them a meal replacement and their stomach feels empty and they don't feel sick anymore. They don't get the reflux. And it's like, oh, well, hey, you know, maybe I don't need such a big portion of food after all. So I, I find it's a big learning curve. So, so with your VLEDs, weight loss, yes. Diabetes yeah. remission or better HbA1c, yes. Blood yeah. pressure from the research, not, not much better than the control, but definitely more patients not using uh, their medications. So getting off the, the therapies. Could you lastly then comment on, in terms of lipid levels, triglycerides, total cholesterol, how does that look with the VLEDs? Yeah, I mean, so you don't see huge changes. So they're just modest reductions um, because, you know, cholesterol, we know that takes up to three to four months to show up on blood, you know, changes in bloods. Um, but obviously with weight loss and maintaining that weight loss over time, you would see a gradual reduction in cholesterol as well as specifically triglycerides. So it is beneficial all around. And, and it's not, again, specific to VLEDs per se, but the weight loss achieved through a VLED. Okay. So the last question is, and I've taken up a lot of your time. Uh, the last question is, we know this is a, a very efficient way of, of treating obesity, uh, diabetes, and, and various other of the metabolic issues. But why are dietitians hesitant to use this type of approach with their patients? Or why has, hasn't the uptake of this type of approach been a lot faster. Hmm. Look, the VLEDs have a legacy that in the past, um, when they used to use poor quality collagen-based protein um, in the USA, this happened in the USA, there was a recorded amount of deaths from it. So people um, going through basically starvation and then dying from it. So I think there was like five or six people that died, right? But again, in context, it was the poor collagen protein-based formulation. Um, but I think that has stuck in a way um, that people were a bit more hesitant. Like I know that there was controversy when they were um, in the direct trial. They didn't want to be associated with the term VLE, you know, VLCD, they call it in the States. They wanted it to be known as a low-calorie diet, not a very low-calorie diet because of that reason. They didn't want people to get scared. Um, but, you know, now the formulations are nutritionally sound. People have not died since, since then, which is, you know, over 60 years ago. Um, and it, the research has come a long way. So they are, and, you know, there's studies to show that they're safe and effective as well. Um, so diet, so I did a study that surveyed dietitians about their opinions, right? Their perspective on, on meal replacement products. 
And what I found the biggest thing was that dietitians had poor uptake because they thought that the weight loss didn't last long term, okay, um, and that it taught people um, basically how to have an eating disorder. That was a big thing. So it teaches people to basically restrict food and binge eat and all that. But, you know, these perceptions aren't actually based on any science. So they're, they're people's opinions. They're not based on research. So to overcome this, I do rec like if you're interested in using the VLED is to read some of the literature on safety and effectiveness and all that, because there is no literature to say that it causes eating disorders. And the long-term weight loss outcomes are actually better than any other diet that's out there. Yeah. The only thing that trumps VLEDs in terms of long-term successful weight loss is bariatric surgery and pharmacotherapy with VLEDs. Yeah. So in terms of a diet therapy, they're your best option. Um, but yeah, have a look at the literature and then you can weigh it up yourself. Perfect. Gabrielle, thank you so much for making the time to be on the show. And you know, thanks for doing research in this amazing area. And I can definitely, when I speak to you, hear the passion on this, this topic, but also hear your passion on producing good papers and good research by just trying to interact with the important parts regarding weight management and obesity and diabetes remission. Well, well thank you. Yeah, uh, look, I do think there's a big, a big part of the literature is missing on, in weight loss in particular, about what patients actually think. You know, I, I find that in weight loss, a lot of it is what we do is derived about what we think as a health care practitioner, you know, and that's not patient-centered care. So, you know, asking people that actually do the diets, what helped them, what didn't, um, you know, I think there's something in that to make, to improve services, to improve the products themselves and the programs. Perfect, and all the best with your PhD. And we look forward to hearing more about it. Thanks so much.